Welcome to Dinger Derby, the only podcast completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join your host, Keith Patrick, every week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. This is Dinger Derby. Well, welcome into the Dinger Derby Podcast, Episode 1. I'm Keith Patrick, your host, and I'm joined today by a very special guest for our first episode, Jamie Lent. He's the Program Director at Double T 97.3 and 100.7 The Score here in Lubbock, but also early season play-by-play guy, late season color analyst for Texas Tech Red Raider Baseball. Jamie, thanks for coming in. Hey, no problem at all. Yes, I'm uh, I- I'm the broadcast crew's utility infielder. Whatever they need <laughs> me to do, I kind of fill in different spots. Yeah, absolutely. And for those that may not know, so Jamie does do play-by-play, and then uh, Gus, Mike Gustafson, joins him early in the season while Jeff Haxton's tied up with an, a great late-running March basketball team, and then things kind of trade around. Yeah, we uh, we love Jeff to uh, join us on the baseball broadcast, but uh, hopefully he'll be going into April with basketball and uh, the Red Raider basketball team's having plenty of success. Absolutely. Well, Jamie, thanks for joining. This is the first episode. All these folks have ever heard from me is like eight and a half minutes telling them who I am. So this is their first taste of Dinger Derby, a brand new podcast about tech baseball. All right. Well, I'm ha- I'm happy to be involved. Yeah. Thanks for being here. So tell everybody a little bit about you. I mean, you've been around broadcasting a while. You're a Red Raider deep ties in in the state of new york so just give us the the quick rundown of who you are and what you're about i grew up in syracuse new york lived there until uh, i graduated high school moved to east texas um lived in tyler for a while and and white house uh home of of the great patrick mahomes lived down the street from him for a while and uh then moved out here to went to tech and, and moved back to east texas to to work there in the in the East Texas area, covered a lot of the, the Cowboys and the Rangers and the Mavs, did a, did a bunch of that, went to training camp with the Cowboys, went to a, a few Super Bowls, um, you know, World Series games with the Rangers, Finals Four, stuff like that. Uh, had a blast working in East Texas and covering the Metroplex teams, but uh, my passion is, is Texas Tech sports, and so when I got the opportunity here with Raymar Communications to come out here and work at uh, Double T 97.3, which was Double T 104.3 at the time. Right. Uh, jumped at the opportunity, and uh, my family and I love West Texas, love love Lubbock, and uh, love being around the Red Raiders. Well, I'm glad you're here. I mean, we've known each other a few years, kind of ran into each other, and now mm-hmm. you've given me the opportunity, not only coming on here, but letting me do a little bit of, of color work for Friendship Tiger Baseball. That's been a lot of fun. Yes. Enjoyed doing uh, that. Even though Choice Woodman's the other side of it, but it's still fun. I mean, <laughs> anytime you're hanging out watching baseball games, that's a good day. Man, that is no doubt. That is no doubt. Well, and you mentioned Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I don't know all the things he's doing on a football field, but he used to do some pretty impressive things on a baseball field as well, especially in high school. Yeah, no question. The first time that I ever saw Patrick, he was about, I was watching a friend of mine's son play Little League baseball. And um, it was one of those facilities in Tyler where, you know, it had four different fields all at one place. Yeah, yeah. And it was in between innings or maybe it was a pitching change. I don't remember. So I got up from my seat. Maybe I went to get a Coke or something. I and went over and looked at another field. And I was like, holy cow, who is this kid mowing everybody down? <laughs> and uh, he was probably, I don't know, five or six, seven maybe at the time. And uh, and then I looked in the crowd and saw his dad. And I was like, oh, that must be Pat Mahomes' son. So that was the first time I ever saw young Patrick. And I thought, you know, from that moment on and seeing him play – 
football, baseball, basketball in high school, there was no no surprise to me that he was going to do something big. Of course, the whole time I thought it was going to be on the baseball field. I didn't think it was going to be on the football field. He was a really good point guard on the basketball court, too. So <laughs> I have no doubt. Yeah. Just an amazing athlete. But uh, you could tell he was destined for stardom. Oh, yeah. And I think I heard the other day, so high school, he was throwing no hitters. I mean, like, I think he had like a 17, 18 strikeout game at some point. Yeah. I mean, really doing some stuff. I mean, enough to come here to Texas Tech to play baseball as well. Right. I mean, and you're, and you're talking about a kid that when he stepped on campus, he, he was hitting 94 on the gun. And you just don't see many freshmen that are able to do that. And I, and I still fully believe that if he had wanted to and been dedicated to baseball, that he would have had a great chance of, of being a high draft pick in baseball. And I think the tech coaches would would tell you the same thing. Uh, at the same time, you respected his decision to, to focus on one sport or the other. And I think that everybody involved in the tech baseball program is thrilled to see him um, have so much success on the football field. Looks like he made the right decision. And from those guys, whether it was guys on the team or the coaching staff, they couldn't um, speak higher uh, about Patrick and the way he handled himself in that situation. Because remember, when he came to the baseball team, he was you know the star football player coming over to the baseball team, and he acted as if he was just one of the guys, a really humble young man. And and you kind of see that the way he acts now. Yeah, absolutely. I could definitely see that. I didn't. I didn't have him on my notes here to get into Patrick Mahomes talk, but you couldn't ask for somebody doing more to represent Texas Tech out there with a great character. But yeah, I mean, he made the right choice when he started hearing things like two hundred million dollar contracts getting yes. thrown around. I think, <laughs> I think he's done a pretty good job for himself. Yeah, I think he absolutely has, no doubt. You were talking about memories. You were talking a little bit about being in Tyler and some of those things. So I had a couple of questions to fire off here from the beginning. Okay. Kind of get to know you a little bit. It's episode one, so I can't say I ask this of every guest, but maybe I will. Maybe okay. I won't. We'll see what happens. So your top Texas Tech sports memory. Oh, man. Obviously, you know, the Crabtree catch against Texas in 08 would be yeah. pretty, pretty high on that list. I, I would tell you, me personally, because I'm a baseball guy, the – Winning the regional in Miami in 2014 to go back to the whole season. That was a year, Coach Tadlock's second year. You came in pick to finish eighth in the Big 12 Conference. You ended up making it to Omaha that year. But even, and then going to the regional, that was the first time you'd been in the, in the postseason in a while. Got to Miami and it felt like you were the number two seed, but it felt like all right, you're you're playing the Canes. They're in the postseason every year. Right. Won, you know, national championships. This is going to be a rough go for the Red Raiders. And it's and it's kind of a house money situation on top of yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Red Raiders beat Columbia on the opening day. Dylan Dushek uh, shuts them out. Uh, shuts Miami out on the second day. Um, and then it comes that Sunday night, and there was so much. I, don't, I mean, not to get too deep into it, but I don't know if you remember all of that. Sunday night, there was a bench-clearing brawl, and Eric yep. Gutierrez and J. Bob Thomas get ejected for the Red Raiders. Uh, you ultimately end up having that game paused and postponed until the next day with the Red Raiders up a couple of runs with only, I think it was five outs to go in the eighth inning because of rain. Come back the next day, and you blow that lead. So you're playing one game to get to, and what it turned out to be was a super regional back at home because College mm-hmm. of Charleston had upset Florida. And just the tension and the nervousness um, and, and wanting it so bad and feeling like 
all the odds were stacked against the Red Raiders. You just didn't know what you were going to get that day. And Cameron Smith pitches the game of his life. You come up with some clutch hitting. I played a lot of small ball that day. Devin Conley, Alec Humphreys were big in that game. And you find a way to get that win just when nobody had any any thoughts that the Red Raiders were, were going to win that game. That day, that game was, was by far my favorite moment covering tech sports and being around it. Uh, so happy for that team. And just the thought that, you know, you had blown that lead and it felt like it was, you know, everything was against you. And I asked Bryant Burleson, who played second base on that team for the Red Raiders after the game, I said, what, what did Coach Tadlock say to you in between games? And basically, Bryant said, listen, Coach Tadlock said to us, you know, before the season started, if we'd have been asked the question, hey, would you take one game to get to a Super Regional at home? I mean, would, would you have been excited to play that game? And he's like, yeah, of course, we all would have. We'd, we would have died for that moment. And Coach Tadlock was like, here's your moment, you know, go yeah. make it happen. And you played, I mean, flawlessly. Again, Cameron Smith was terrific in that game. And that was just such a cool moment for me. That was the start. And, of course, you come back home and you win the Super Regional, two 1-0 games. And I look at the success that you had in 16 and 18 and and hopefully even beyond that we're going to continue to see. I feel like that 14 team set it up for everybody else because that put you on the national stage. It made you a team that everybody wanted to come play for. Coach Tadlock right. and Coach Thomas are great recruiters, but they had, you know, their message was so much stronger at that point. And so I feel like that one game is huge in the history of Texas Tech baseball. And so to me, that's that's probably my favorite moment ever. That's really well put, and I feel like Stetson just had that season yeah. to set themselves up to build their recruiting up, and that was what 14 did, but when you look back at 14, it was like that year of memorable mm-hmm. single moments, yeah. the Conley catch, yes. the Zach Davis steal, yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff. It was just those crazy moments, and if I recall right, the brawl started with when uh, Eric Gutierrez may or may not have dropped a ball in a in a player's lap oh. that slid into first. Oh, he absolutely was, did, but... There yeah, was no yeah. there was no slide. There was no slide. But uh yeah, a, a ball that with I think the pitcher threw to Gutierrez at first and it kind of took Gutierrez That's right. took yeah. him into the baseline. And so the runner didn't slide or didn't avoid Goot. He just tried to run through him and Goot held on to the ball. The runner was out and as Goot got himself back up and he ran towards the dugout, he just dropped the ball in the the yeah. base runner's lap who was sitting there on first base. <laughs> that uh, Then in turn, the Miami first base coach took a swipe at Goot, and then uh, Coach Thomas and Coach uh, Coach Tadlock lost their minds at that point. And yeah. It was, if you want to see J. Bob Thomas hot, you mess with one of his players. Yeah, I think no, that's no. that's definitely a lesson. That's awesome. Yeah, that was that was a fantastic time. I worked at the Rawls College of Business then, and so we're watching it on computers, yelling up and down the hallway, yeah. and ultimately just went to a, a big lecture hall and put it on the giant screen. Oh, cool. You know, you just – you just couldn't you couldn't be more excited about what they're doing and it's a first time mm-hmm. and i mean nothing against those guys but it's a bunch of it's a bunch of nobody guys yeah. you know it's no top 100s it's just the guys that are out there just playing their hearts out yeah the talent we've seen from the red raiders since then has been much higher than that 2014 team but i mean the way Dylan Dushek pitched in that postseason the way Cameron Smith came through uh in that situation uh, I mean, you were just big time performance after big time performance on the mound. Mosley was awesome in 
Omaha. I mean, and then and then Gutierrez and, and Tyler Nesloni. Nesloni specifically in the Super Regional. He was so good in that Super Regional. I mean, those guys just came through big time in the clutch. And and again, like I said, I just feel like that was the building blocks for the what has become a perennial top 10 team now in college yeah. baseball. And, and in my opinion, it doesn't happen without that run in that 2014 team. That's awesome, man. That's a that's a great answer. I have one other one. I got a prompt to ask you about a football broadcast story that involved a Syracuse blanket, but oh, uh, but first I want to ask totally non controversial question. Nobody has a strong opinion about this. What's your favorite baseball movie? Oh boy, I think I would go Field of Dreams. Yeah, I, that's probably a popular answer, but there's a ton of them that I really like. But yeah, that that one's the best one. I mean. If I were to tell you the my favorite baseball movie scene, uh, it's when he's playing catch with his dad. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean that makes me tear up every single time. And um, when it happens at some point, and and I, I hope it's a long, long time from now. You know, when I lose my father. I'm probably going to be thinking about, man, I wish I could play catch with my dad one more time. Right. So that moment to me is is one of the coolest moments in movies ever. And for a baseball guy, that's that's really high on my list. It's a killer movie. I I go back and forth between a few, but that's definitely at the top of my list, kind of right now too. And it's one you can always go back to. And I read it last year. Oh, cool. Uh, just as good, like just beautifully written. A little bit different, but. A lot of that is still there. So, yeah, that's really cool. Let's jump in, Jamie. Let's talk a little bit about last season, kind of how it went, and then where we find ourselves now. I'd really like to kind of get into some of our returning players and some of these new guys we're going to see. Okay. Sounds good. So, obviously, 2018, start 14-0, and end up going uh, 45-20 and or 27-6 and at home early. I mean, first game, Stephen Gingery goes down. So, second year in a row, you lose an ace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just, it hurts, you know, it hurts. You start to wonder this, this sure thing team, all of a sudden you're not sure what's going to happen. And then, and, and you can jump in on that too, but, but then I think from a fan's perspective, the worst possible thing that happened all season was like a 10 day road trip to the state of Kentucky and then to Waco, Texas. Yeah, that was a, and it, it changed the look of the season. That was a, that was definitely a rough time for the Red Raiders. And and you're right that the Gingery injury right off the bat on that first Saturday of the year was tough to take. I mean, remember he was a team USA guy, um, national pitcher of the year, the year before. Right. And there was just something about that red Raider baseball team. When Steven Gingrey was on the mound, Steven had this personality and confidence to him, uh, and still has all that, by the way, kind of some, kind of some <laughs> but, California swagger, yeah. I think is what it was. Yeah. That just gave you confidence, and Steven basically felt like anybody that came to the plate against him, he was going to mow him down. I think the team fed off of his confidence. Mm-hmm. You saw that in 2017 year. They were so good when he was on the mound, and, and it was a big blow for this team. And I think for a little while there, it kind of took the team a little bit to say, okay, who's going to step up? Right. Who's going to be the next guy? At the same time, I don't think they felt like any of their goals changed I think they felt like, hey, we still have enough talent here Mm -hmm. to get to Omaha and do some damage. And ultimately, they did get to Omaha. But it it was a big blow for the team. And and it did take a a little bit of steam off the start of the season. So then you make that trip after starting 14-0 and you make that trip to Kentucky. And I think that's where it really started to show up against quality teams like Kentucky Mm -hmm. and again, again, Louisville. And ultimately, Baylor pitched it really well against you that weekend. Um, but you saw the depth and the pitching rotation kind of struggle a little bit. And it was something that we kind of saw for a lot of the season, uh, just because by the end of the year, you, you really were, had about eight guys that, that it looked like Coach Tadlock and coach, pitching coach Matt Gardner were really confident in. 
on the mound. And and that kind of wore you out as the season went along, hurt you a little bit in Omaha too, but you found ways to kind of work around that. And, you know, like the, the Dushek and Shedder combination right. was together. Other guys found a way to step up, but it was a little bit uh, of a blow and uh, to lose Gingry and, and then you could make that road trip a few weeks later. And it was a, a dose of reality slapped right in the face for the Red Raiders. It was also freezing cold. I oh, mean, it yeah. snowed most it of the time brutal. we were in Kentucky. Yeah, it was tough. And I think the team was worn out a little bit when they got to Waco. Yeah. And, and you kind of played like that offensively. You really didn't get anything going offensively until that third game on Sunday and kind of salvaged at least one game of, yeah. and didn't get, kept yourself from getting swept. But if there's one thing that came out of that, Keith, that I thought that was really important was just the emergence of other guys, okay, late in that series, specifically Zach Reams. Yes. Because you had been kind of searching for who's going to be that guy at DH. It, nobody was kind of grabbing onto that role. And on that Sunday, Zach Reams got a chance. And this was a guy that was a senior that during the offseason, the summer before, had contemplated, you know what, I didn't play much as a junior my first year here to transfer. I don't know if I want to play anymore. And, and Jamie, so and just to, to fill him in a little bit, so Zach Reams transfers in as a JUCO transfer. Right. A lot of hype as a power hitter. Mm-hmm. And then that first, you know, 17 games of the season just really didn't do much and, and may have been on his last chance coming in at Waco. Yeah. I believe he had like, uh, it seems like seven at-bats coming into that series. Homers, doubles, drives in and has another RBI hit in that game on Sunday. And just at that point... The job was his, yeah. and I think we we all know there was no way you're getting to Omaha or doing what you did without the performance of Zach Reams last season. So if there was one good thing that came out of that, losing two out of three in Waco, it was Zach Reams kind of inserting himself into the lineup and kind of grabbing hold of that spot and then just running with it the rest of the year. You know, something I've always been impressed with Coach Tadlock and, and of course, the guys around him, in all of those up years, those College World Series years, or even, even 17 is responding to the strengths of his team, you know, from a small ball team in 14, like you said, responding to the power he had in other years. But if there was a deficiency in 2018 in the team, something they were missing, what do you think that was? Last season, I I think the pitching depth. Yeah, Yeah. I I think pitching depth was the biggest thing. There were times where, and I think all teams go through it, where maybe your, your clutch hitting or your situational hitting wasn't as good. But I think all teams go through that a little bit. More than anything, I, I just think that the depth and really not even your starting pitching, but just the depth in the arms that you had coming out of the bullpen. And with that, really the inability to throw strikes. I mean, there were yeah. times where you really, I mean, really could not command to the fact that teams were just loading up on the base pass with free passes. You remember that right. TCU series that was on the Friday night and on the Sunday. I mean, that's what really killed you in that in those two games. Right. And you, like you said, starting pitching, Caleb Killian stepped up. I mean, and you started to feel really confident and you had the Duchetter combo. And, but then guys like John McMillan, who you'll have back again, didn't really find a groove until late there in the season, really the super regional. And then had this, you know, this amazing moment, mm-hmm. you know, where he kind of put it all together. But as a fan and with the guys I, I go watch baseball with, you sit there and think, okay, you know, what's the first pitch? If he, I mean, if it's a ball, if it's up, you're nervous. Then he's then he's probably not getting down, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and uh, but man, he really proved that he could come out there and put it together and start and start throwing some strikes. Yeah, no doubt. And and John is definitely one of those guys. I would throw Erickson Lanning sure. in the mix for that category. Uh, Caleb Freeman coming out of the bullpen, I'd put him in that mix. Is guys that I I feel like you can expect to take the next step. 
and guys that you need to take the next step. Because we've seen it so many times before. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it. Don't give up on freshman pitchers. Okay. Don't give up on those guys. Sometimes it takes one year. Sometimes it takes two years. We can go over and over the list of guys just over the last couple of years, Mushinsky and Patterson and Harpenau, that the first two years it was a struggle. That junior year comes around and suddenly those guys figure it out. And so those are three guys that I kind of feel like will be in that situation this year. And the way that McMillan finished last year, that gives you a lot of hope that, I mean, with the stuff that he has, the potential is there for him to really have a big year well, absolutely and, and i think in harp's a great example of that a guy that's ready to quit baseball and ends up being a 16th round pick you know once yeah. you, once you got together and if you think about mcmillan you know freshman year yeah he's pitching in kind of like a deep reliever but he's still hitting i mean he's still your dh most yep. of the season so really he was almost a freshman last year and in, in the amount of work he got from the mound and right. that's all he did other than a random day or two in right field you know then mm-hmm. that was really kind of a, a, his first chance to put it together and, and throw a lot of innings Right, and look like a, I mean, be a guy that focused on being a starting right. pitcher. So you kind of saw the inconsistency that you expect from a from a young guy that's doing that for the first time as a collegiate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I was thinking about, you know, when I asked you that, I was thinking a little bit about power. I mean, not that every team's going to be Tennessee Tech, but you just didn't have as much of a deep threat as maybe you had seen in the past, you know. But as I've gone through looking at some of these new guys that have come in, you've recruited some serious power at the plate. And I'm curious to see kind yes. of how they start to mix in as we get into them. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to to fill the gaps from some guys that you lost from last year because there are, there are some good players absolutely. that you lost at the same time. I just think the way that, that Coach Tadlock and company are recruiting right now, you, you don't have to feel like it's a rebuild, but it's just a reload. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and we'll, we'll jump into those guys here in a second. I was going to wrap up the kind of last season. So obviously you go through, had trouble closing out and, and sweeping those Big 12 series, ended up doing that at the end of the season with OSU. Um, when, when it really comes down to it, when you're a team, like you said, a perennial top 10, your RPI is going to be fantastic. You're playing tough schedules. Uh, the schedule this season is absolutely stacked. So you, you're really not that worried about winning Big 12 titles or Big 12 tournament titles, although it's a nice extra. Omaha's your goal, you know, and, right. get, and getting up there and doing that. So as a fan, yeah, you want to win more and you want to beat everybody, but you know that there's a bigger goal. But you roll through your own regional, you take down Louisville, you take down Kent State, and then you get Duke, the team of destiny. Hasn't been to a College World Series since the 50s. And then I think every Red Raider fan found their new nemesis in the head coach of, of the Duke Blue Devils. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean the slow um, walker, slow rolling it to the mound. Yeah, there was there was something there. Yeah, that was a little bit frustrating, and uh, it made for kind of a tense or intense maybe series that maybe it wouldn't have been as much so. But there, it looked like there was a lot of uh, frustration uh, with Red Raider fans and players towards the Duke side of things. And uh, what's fun is that those two teams get to match up again this year yes. in a non-conference game. Yes, and I mean, it was a good team, and, and I'm sure he's a great coach, but it was fun to dislike him. I, I kind of wish we had him here in Lubbock, but that single game adds in your your fifth of the Power Five conferences, so you'll be playing all Power Fives uh, this season as well as a ton of super teams. That was obviously one of them that, that played here in Lubbock. But So we talk mm-hmm. about who we lost. The Red Raiders jumped in, jumped in and – uh, you know, you have 11 players drafted, a record for the baseball team. And out of all of those, you have a couple draft eligible, eligible sophomores that get drafted. Grant Little, of course, you know, second rounder, he he goes on and, and goes. But Caleb Killian comes back. So that's the first question when you're talking about who's back. Is this your automatic ace? Is he going to be your Friday guy walking in? 
Yeah, I think you heading into it, I think you lean towards thinking that Caleb Killian is your ace, but I don't know. I'm not certain that he's your Friday night guy, Mm. because if you go with the last couple of seasons, Stephen Gingery was your ace when he was national pitcher of the year. Last season, Caleb Killian was your most consistent pitcher. Both times, those guys were pitching on Saturdays. So normally you do see your best pitcher go on Fridays, but I wouldn't guarantee that's the case. It all depends on who else steps up and how important it is for, you know, Coach Tadlock and company to feel like, hey, we got to get this weekend off to a quick start, you know, on the mound. But my my deal with that is I'm a fan of if you have the most confident and feel like one pitcher is going to go give you the most length in a game, pitch him on Saturday. And the reason I say that is because if you're going to use more of your key bullpen arms on Friday – you feel like you're not going to use him as much on Saturday because your ace is pitching there. He's going deeper into games. Then those same guys you're using on Friday, you can most likely use them again on Sunday. If you're going to use them on Saturday, you can't normally use them again on Sunday. So I think that makes some sense too. It'll be interesting to see if they continue with that trend or they go back to, to their best guy being on Friday. Well, and I can see your point there. In those last two seasons, you also lost your other ace. Yes. You know, so yeah. that that pitcher of the year year, mm-hmm. you lose your Friday night starter in Davis Martin, and then all of a sudden things are are shifted around. You know, basically the same thing last season, but with Gingery. So, mm-hmm. and then Martin struggled a little bit too. But no, that makes a lot of sense. I could I could certainly see that. So Caleb Killian went in the twentieth round to the Orioles. Comes back. His brother's playing football. He's a is he a fullback? For the football team? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, yeah, fullback. Maybe a new tight end is probably what. Maybe. Maybe we'll see that. You're you're glad to have him back. Absolutely. Because he's one of those guys that, I mean, just right off the bat, you can feel confident in and you don't feel like you have questions involving him. And, you know, immediately you pencil him in as one of your starters. Yeah, Yeah, I would definitely think so. As you kind of alluded to, I think you've established yourself now. The Red Raiders have established themselves in college baseball, kind of that new blue blood edge three times in five years in the College World Series, really high-ranked recruiting classes. You're getting that respect. Coach Tadlock's the 2018 D1 Baseball Coach of the Year. I'm a big D1 Baseball fan. I think those guys do a really good job. So I agree. I respect that coming from them as well. And then and J. Bob Thomas now, he was the assistant coach of the year in 2017 from Baseball America and, and the ABCA. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing recruiting class rankings, and, and Perfect Game gets the Red Raiders as high as number six in their class rankings. You get two top 100 prospects, which is, is really good. It's not the top of the country. Uh, and you say, well, why are they number six? They got two top 100. Well, Vanderbilt got eight. So, <laughs> so there's, there's still some things out there to, to deal with. But I also think you're seeing them, they're recruiting Texas very well, and they're recruiting even, even the West Texas area well and finding the talent because – Jamie, you haven't seen this, but some of my podcast downloads from my little intro episode, we're talking like Oregon, Georgia, Nevada. I didn't know my mom traveled that much, but I've been excited to see folks from around the country want to hear more about tech baseball. And so they may not realize West Texas is a fantastic baseball area, you know, from the high school ranks. And there's a lot of talent in this in this area. Yeah, more so than football and basketball. West Texas produces a lot of baseball talent. And that obviously is something that benefits the Red Raiders. Yeah, for sure. So looking across the field then, let's talk about kind of just position to position, who we're seeing back and and what it's looking like. Kind of a big story of last season, and and, and everybody's going to think, you know, Josh Young, and that's the whole podcast, but uh, uh, Gabe Holt was a huge story last season. He was the first consensus freshman All-American, and you saw him move from second base to right field and then have some struggles out there with his routes and things like that a little bit. Where do you think we'll see him end up this season? My guess is that you'll see him – 
in right field. My guess is that you could see him in center field. And at times he, he might still get some action in the infield playing second base. We saw him even playing a little bit of shortstop in the fall. But I think the majority of the time I see him in right field. Most importantly, I see him leading off. Yes. Because that's <laughs> where, what's the, the most important part of this. And as Coach Tadlock likes to say, you know, if you can hit, we'll find a spot for you to stand. <laughs> so they're going to find a spot for Gabe Holt. Okay. Terrific player, uh, especially offensively and what he does at the top of the lineup, what he can do on the base pass for you. Uh, just a, you know, a guy that hits that, that hits for average, that takes a lot of walks, high on base percentage, has a little pop to him as well. And he's a clutch hitter too. It seems he, like is. he comes up with a ton of clutch hits. So um, he's a key guy for the Red Raiders this year, no question. I think you'll see him starting in right field the majority of the time. You know, with his speed out there, Jamie, I mean, just incredible speed on the base pass, so that certainly is going to translate to the outfield. It was just experience, you know, getting used to the routes, reading the ball off the bat, some of that stuff. Now, he was a shortstop in high school. I think he was the number two shortstop coming out of Georgia when he was recruited, but seems to me like a kid, and you're you're around these guys more than I am, but seems like a great kid, great attitude. I mean, why do you love college baseball? Because your leadoff hitter for, you know, top five Texas Tech is choking up and, and, you know, he's choking and poking and getting on base every time, and every single is a double because he's so stinking fast yeah he can slap the ball the opposite way he can pull it i mean he spoils pitches i mean how many bad pitches in the dirt did gabe foul off just to stay alive forcing a pitcher to throw yet another pitch you know and then when he gets over there to first base i feel like pitchers are better off if he has a double because if he's over at first that means the pitcher is worried about him looking over his shoulder all the time is he gonna go is he staying what's he doing holt likes to hop around over there and i feel like that benefits the guys that hit behind him in the lineup because your pitcher's focused Focus is not 100% on hitter. Instead, it's on Holt over there at first, and that opens things up. He causes a lot of mayhem. And, and you know, when uh, on, on the Kirby Hocut show, Coach Tadlock filled in for the beginning of that show during the Coach Wells uh-huh. search, and, and he told he told Robert Giovanetti that uh, even with this new player that we'll talk about later from, from Amarillo that's just plus-plus speed, incredibly fast, that he still feels like that nobody gets around the bases any faster than Gabe. So yeah. I think he truly translates it out there. Yeah, his instincts are fantastic on the base paths, and you're hoping that with that you know more experience in the outfield that those instincts will kick in out there as well. I believe he had 29 stolen bags last season, I think, out of 31 attempts. But the two catches were not – I mean, he didn't get picked off. They were – they were technical, yes, you know, yes. technically charged to him, not yes. not necessarily a, a caught stealing. Yeah, so. uh, he's uh, just just a wreaking havoc on the base path. The kind of guy you love having on your team, the kind of guy you hate playing against. Yeah, and also, and a little bit of bad news about Gabe Holt, he is a draft-eligible sophomore also this year. So Correct. that's something to think about. The kind of season that he'll probably have and that you hope he has that you may not see him again. Yeah, good chance he this will be his last year in a red-ready uniform. So you mentioned fouling off pitches, so let's talk about Cam Warren at first base. So Mm -hmm. talk about a a game-defining moment. Cam Warren fouls 14 off Uh against Florida in your your first game in the College World Series and completely turns that game on its head in one at-bat. Yeah, that was a terrific at-bat from Cameron. And Cameron had his ups and downs during the year last year, but his numbers ultimately ended up being pretty good, um, over 10 home runs on the season. Cameron's one of those guys that you just love having on the team, always a positive attitude, guys really enjoy being around him just a a solidifier there but i'll tell you keith i don't think that cameron is your starting first baseman this year you know jamie that has been my thought and i've been afraid to say it out loud but and i've wondered i've wondered if anybody else might feel that way go ahead though i think that you'll see him play some first base but i think you'll see him play right field or left field 
and DH as well. Uh, there was a freshman, TJ Rumfield, that when you watched things in the fall, and I had been told coming in that they really liked his, you know, what he does with the glove and with the bat. And I think Rumfield is going to have a great chance to be the everyday first baseman. Good pop, good size, 6'5", kid that can yes. hit for power, all that good played stuff. Third, played third base in high school, yep. if I recall. Yep. Yeah. So he's a guy that I think um, has a great chance to be your starting first baseman. But, uh, again, I think Cameron's a, a, a guy that hits, you know, a clutch hitter, good power, all those things, doesn't chase a lot of bad balls. So I, I think Cameron will find himself in the lineup somewhere more times than not. So that that had been my theory. Cam hit with some pretty good power last season. He hit three twenty six on the season, like you said, ten home runs. And Rumfeld was was difficult as I was making my notes because almost every position was listed on him yeah. in his recruiting profile. But mainly a third baseman, sometimes a catcher, but a Josh Young kind of kid, like a six five, two twenty three. You know, lots of power, big guy. The number three third baseman in Texas, bringing him in. You know, he's he's not a top one hundred guy nationally. He's a top five hundred guy, but number twenty three third baseman overall. But that had been my thought. You and I love Cam Warren, and I could see some from some promo pictures that he's he's dropped a few pounds. Yep. It looks like, and uh-huh. so there's probably a little more speed there. But you've missed something since Hunter Hargrove from the uh, athleticism coming off the bag into the gap, trying to make some plays there at first. Right. Although he's done a serviceable job, so I had wondered if DH may be a place we'd see him. But then you've brought in some power hitters, so I've been curious where where he might end up. Yeah, I think you could see him play DH a bunch. But uh, again, I wouldn't count him out as a as a corner outfielder as well. Okay, and and playing some first base also. Rumfield hits from the left side, so maybe that's a you know at times a platoon situation depending on who's on the mound. Sure, sure. Well, of course, Josh Young, your third baseman, he's had multiple preseason All America awards already. Gabe Holtz also had some, and Caleb Killian have had some mm-hmm. preseason All America awards come through. But I don't think I've ever heard of, known, seen a baseball player with the work ethic of Josh Young. It's it's impressive to see. Obviously, he's he's a physical specimen. He's methodical at the plate. I love that he's kind of a total head case in a positive way when it comes to his preparation, flushing his toilet in the, in the dugout and, and things like that. But um, right. obviously you need and expect a huge season from this guy, but he's not resting on that happening. I, I know he's in there doing the work. Yeah, I think with some kids you do worry a little bit about them getting uh, fat and happy um, on what they've done before or reading their press clippings too much, and I just don't right. see that from Josh. I mean, and that's not to say that he's not going to struggle at times because all baseball players do, but it's surely not going to be because of preparation or getting too high on himself. It's just a kid that, I mean, is one crazy, intense individual on the baseball field, and he is all about winning, and he is all about doing his part. As intense as a player, loves the game, as anybody that I can remember. I mean, reminds you a lot of the work ethic of Eric Gutierrez, who's now mm-hmm. Red Raider coaching staff. Those two are very similar in that regard. Crazy talented kid, and you're absolutely right. You you need him to be a, a big-time factor for you this year, not just with what he's doing, but his leadership is, is going to be yeah. key for this team as well. Well, I think, and, and I'm not in the locker room, but I'm going to think that if anybody's going to drive you towards a goal, it's going to be a guy like Josh Young. I remember after the loss to Florida in the College World Series, he's the one out there you know, filling the bottle with dirt from the base path and talking about coming back, I mean, immediately. And he did hit 392 last season, and every service is pretty solid on him, probably projecting as a top 10 pick, some even as a top five pick in the in the Major League Baseball draft. He hit 12 home runs last season, so if you wanted to see anything, you could probably get you know five or seven more. He could probably be close to a 20 home run guy 
you know, if he could, if yeah. he could pick up his power and, and I'm still just desperate to know what he says to his bat. But then I also kind of don't <laughs> want to know, cause that's what makes baseball fun. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, the mystery. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I've actually asked him Keith and he, won't uh, yeah. Me, so. Well, if, if, if there was one thing that people had to, that announcers had to talk about during the college world series, it was that, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they may not know anything else about the team and they may fight with each other in the booth. I mean, on TV, I know you and Hacks yes. would never do that. No, yeah. Never, yeah. Never. So, um, catcher was a little bit interesting last year. You lose, uh, M- both Michael Berglund and, uh, Colton Sanchez, both transfer out. You end up with a freshman from here in Lubbock from Monterey. Braxton Fulford is your, is your catcher. Most of the time, coach Tadlock kind of goes two thirds, one third on, on those guys getting time. But then you get two big recruits in both catchers, uh, Cole Stillwell from Rockwall and then also Cole Moore from Georgetown, number one and number three catchers in the state. More with you know more of a power hitter, maybe a little bit less from the catching quality, and then Stillwell just by all accounts a, f- a fantastic technical catcher with good arm strength. So right. uh, I've been curious to see who kind of mixes in that, and and I don't want to neglect Zane Willems, who also put in time last season, kind of ended up in that third role, but he's now moving moved himself to the bullpen and is going to be pitching this season. Yes, yeah. So Zane is is going to be it looks like full time reliever for the Red Raiders this year, and that's. That's good to see. Um, he looked really good in the fall. You yeah. know, I, I think he's probably an inning at a time guy, but looked really good out of the bullpen in the fall. So I, I don't think you'll see him in the catcher rotation at all. Maybe as an emergency catcher, but Fulford obviously last year really good defensively, but offensively there were times where he really having struggles. You know what I liked about Braxton is it seemed like in clutch situations he came up big for yeah. you. Whether it was taking a walk here, getting a, getting a sacrifice bunt down, it just looked like he came through or getting a hit. I mean came through when you really needed him to and so i think he's definitely in the mix don't forget about a kid named mason minzy who came in from michigan who was a really talented guy as well he may be the most athletic of the bunch and he might be able to play elsewhere but minzy's another guy that i think has a chance to help but i think cole stillwell right now probably is the most complete of all those guys fulford's probably the best defender but stillwell's up there pretty close to him and I think Stillwell's bat's probably the best of all the catchers. So uh, I think he's got a chance to earn the job. But like that first weekend of the season, uh, maybe even the first three weeks of the season, I bet you'll see all those guys get a start a weekend and try to figure out, you know, who's doing what and who's who's kind of up their game from last season, allow the freshmen a chance to get their feet wet before you get into conference play. But uh, the one good thing, I think right now you can say you have depth at that position. Yes. And that, hasn't always, that always hasn't been the case. Last season you saw Kurt Wilson, you saw Cody Masters, Casey Simonich. I mean, you saw a lot of guys kind of all – I think Kurt Wilson – almost played every position on the field <laughs> at some point last season. It was really close, but I think he played eight. So, and still, well, just to put him in perspective too, he was a high school draftee. He was drafted by the Astros in the 38th round. So uh, number three in the state, but from a, from a standpoint of pure catcher, probably a really solid guy that you've, that you've brought in. And, and you got him really late. Uh, he had committed to Kansas state, but when they fired their head coach, it opened things up and uh, he was happy to come on board and, and nice. end up with the Red Raiders. Kind of That was a nice landing spot for him. Nice. Very good. Well, and then you have a big question mark. You know, you have 
a, a spiritual leader of your team for I don't know lack of a better word in, in Michael Davis that's that's gone on to the Twins organization is absolutely killing it as mm-hmm. a as a pro ball player right now doing a great job had a really good season and so you have a big hole to fill at shortstop it's obviously an important position in, in your your middle infield I'm going to throw out a name and and I don't know if there are others and please feel free to, to tell me about them but mm-hmm. not really in the recruiting class per se but as a transfer from McLennan Community College uh, Dylan and I think it's noisy is that is that yes. how do you say it? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. His, if you remember a few years ago, Oklahoma had a shortstop slash closer named Sheldon Noisy. Mm-hmm. He was an absolute stud, an early round draft pick of the Washington Nationals, and he's in their their farm system now. That's uh, Sheldon is his older brother. Gotcha. And um, I think Dylan has a great chance to to be the starter, a really athletic guy, mm-hmm. a guy with great speed as well, can play second base for you. If you needed him to, he could play third base. And maybe because of his athleticism, maybe he could even play in the outfield if you needed him there. But a solid hitter, better than solid, an above average hitter. Um, when he's going well. So to me, it's it's his job to lose at the shortstop position. The other guy that I think is is probably the closest to him is Drew Baker. Uh, he's a freshman out of Tomball. Drew's a really good fielder. Started off the fall really well swinging the bat, but kind of stumbled towards the end swinging the bat. So we'll see if he can get back going again. But those are two young guys. Noisy is a sophomore, as you mentioned. He's a JC transfer and then Baker. But then beyond that, you have guys like Brian Klein. You have guys like Gabe Holt that maybe could play the position as well. Kurt Wilson, if you needed to as well. But I I think it's going to be those two young guys that are going to be leading the charge there at short. I would assume you'd want to get somebody in that's going to be around a little while and that can grow into that one a little bit. And you certainly need the athleticism there. And then there's other guys that have been on the team, you know, and you wonder where they're going to play into the mix, like Parker Kelly, uh, Cody Masters brings a ton of speed as well. I've wondered if he might be a candidate for your center fielder. Uh, or, or fighting for that position with with some of these new guys, and so let's say if you if you call Gabe Holt right fielder and Brian Klein at second, and I didn't mean to skip over Brian Klein, but pretty solid second baseman for you last year. Had some things yeah. to learn, but did did a pretty pretty serviceable job. And I think his level of athleticism lends itself pretty well to second base rather than the outfield where he he was in, he was in right a little bit for part of the season. Right, makes all the simple plays at second base. Range not as good as you know when you had Michael Davis playing second base there a couple of years ago, but uh, a, a mentally sound kid, always in the right place, yeah. always where he needs to be. Another great leader on that baseball team right. as well. A good hitter for you, perfect number two hole hitter in my opinion. Hit a, hit a great double down the right field line in the final game against Florida in the College World Series to to give you hope to keep things rolling. Yes. I'm gonna tell you yes. something, Jamie. So so Brian Klein's eye grease is uh, is in crosses on his face. He has Christian songs, his walk up music oh. at home. So my friends and I, when when it's a really neat, when we really need the hit, we'll sing him some Amazing Grace from the stands. Oh, cool. So we were behind the plate in that first section behind the plate at the last game of the College World Series. So we started singing. Nobody knows that this is what we do. We pretty much got the whole section singing Amazing Grace and then some other people just giving us dirty looks. But <laughs> And then he poked that double down the right field line. So, I mean, it was a lot of fun. But he's he's a player that's just fun to watch and fun to watch him be successful. Well, it'll be interesting to see how Brian handles the season. He just got married about a month ago. Yeah. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you normally see that for college baseball players. But he got married in, in December 
And uh, so hopefully that that won't hurt his game. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he listens, Jamie, and has something to tell you about that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe maybe we should say I'm excited that it's going to help his game. Yeah, exactly. And automatically, yes. Right, no doubt. Okay, so that kind of sets your infield, and then you say Gabe Holt most likely right field. Let's let's say that. So left field, center field are pretty up for grabs. I mean, but there's a lot of speed on the team that you could make cases out there. I think and experience. Yeah, uh, a couple of young guys that we haven't talked about that I think are in the mix in those two uh, outfield spots, uh, left and center. Max Marshock is the uh, is the center fielder for Amarillo, and and if you've watched high school baseball around these parts, you've seen Max play plus plus speed. I mean, great speed. Let me uh, let me uh, I'll quantify that for you. So he runs a six three seven sixty. So that sixty yard dash puts Max in the ninety nine point nine two percentile out of everybody in the class. I mean, it's just wow. the, the average speed in the class was one second slower than Max. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's extremely fast. Uh, hit for some power in the fall, which was a bit of a surprise. Uh, from the right side of the plate, uh, he's he's a terrific hitter. He's one of those guys that had he, you know, he basically gave scouts a number and said, if I'm not drafted by this round or this signing bonus, I'm not. Uh, I'm yeah. not going to sign. I'm going to go to college. He would have been drafted way, way, way higher than he was because of that. The Red Raiders lucked out, and and he's a Red Raider, and I think he's absolutely a guy that's going to make a huge impact out there in center field. Probably has a little bit stronger arm than Gabe Holt, and that's one of the reasons why I would expect him to be the starting center fielder in Holt and Wright. And having played a significant amount of center field, you know, in, right. in his high school time. Yeah. He was the number one outfielder in Texas coming out of this class, number eight in the state uh, overall, and then number 15 outfielder in the country and number 68 overall prospect. So he was one of your top 100 guys coming in. That's a big get for this class. And as we were talking about before, right here in, in the West Texas Panhandle area. Yeah, a terrific, terrific player. Can, can should be able to help you both offensively and defensively right off the bat. So that's that's a, that was a huge get, like you said. Another young guy that we haven't talked about is Tanner Otremba. And Otremba's from Colorado. Um, he's more of a corner outfielder type. He kind of reminds you of uh, early years Stephen Smith with the Red Raiders, where he's more athletic than his body looks like. You know, yeah, he's six foot two fifteen, so yeah. not not the height there that you're kind of thinking automatically. Yeah, but just like uh, as the, the bull, as we used to refer to him, yeah. uh, more athletic, just like Stephen was, could run. I remember Smith played a lot of center field for the Red Raiders at one point, and and Otrembo's yep. a better athlete than than that. Those numbers show. Uh, got a ton of power, ton of power. Yeah. His, he has incredible. Looking at his recruiting profile, he's incredible bat speed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just lots of raw power in his bat. Yeah, hits from the right side, and so I think he's got a chance to to play some either right field or left field, probably more left than right. But that's another guy that an immediate impact guy that I think could help right away. He was a guy that played outfield in high school and also a right-handed pitcher some in high school, but the number one prospect overall coming out of Colorado. So once again, you're recruiting really well, but you're also pulling some really solid guys from other states. Like we mentioned Gabe Holt, and you know he was really highly recruited out of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And so you're pulling some folks. You've got, you've got some others coming in from, uh, from Nevada and, and others that w- when we talk about pitchers. But anybody else in the class that you wanted to mention, Jamie? As far as hitters, position players, I think those are the guys that jump out to me the most that I think have the – have the opportunity to help out. We didn't talk too much about Cody Masters, but I expect a big second season from him. He dealt with injuries a bunch last year. Yeah. Switch hitter with great speed and, and good skills as well. So Coach Tadlock and company, they've got a difficult challenge in trying to figure out uh, where guys get at bats because you got a lot of talented players. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I did have one other guy on my list, Jose Gonzalez out of at mm-hmm. a spring. He was, went to Klein High School. The number one first baseman coming out of Texas. He was a top 400 guy. And really the recruiting skinny on him was just he had the potential to be an elite hitter. Not, not a next level hitter, but just absolutely elite. Didn't hit for a high average in the fall, but did uh, hit a home run that was like John McMillan-esque. That was way up the scoreboard and, and went off the building uh, on the balance behind center field. Uh-huh. So he's got that kind of raw power. Uh, they played him in the outfield in the fall, but he was an infielder in high school, more of a corner infielder. So um, we'll see where he finds a spot to play. But a guy with a ton of a ton of power, and you could see him developing into a big-time hitter if he gets enough at-bats. Right. Well, let's hop into the pitchers kind of the last 10 minutes here and just talk about you know, who we've got coming back. We talked a little bit about that already. Saw John McMillan, obviously, is coming back around. Uh, Erickson Landing. A couple that I'm curious about, and, you know, he was a fan favorite last year, Caleb Freeman. Kind of on the baseball side, he had a really strong summer in the Cape. And the D1 baseball guys were really high on what Caleb Freeman was doing. His velocity had gotten up, and, and 96 was more consistent for him. And I think they were really excited about what he looked like. Yeah, great fastball and a great hook. It seems like a great combination for you know, a, a relief pitcher. So the tools are there. It's just a matter of consistency. And he's another one of those guys that struggled with his command at times. Got to stay down in the zone with that fastball mm-hmm. and with the breaking stuff as well. But a guy that you, you know, like we were talking about with Josh Young, I, I look at Caleb Freeman and feel like if you're going to be next level good this year, you've got to have like a guy like Caleb Freeman to be really good out of the bullpen for the Red Raiders. And, and he looks like he's got the talent to do it. Absolutely. Erickson Lanning, another one, we've talked about him a little bit, struggled some last year, had some injury issues. But before that, in his sophomore season, had a 312 ERA, appeared for you quite a bit out of the pen. Definitely somebody you, th- you think is going to take a step back forward. Do you think he comes into a potential starting role, or do you think that that's, that continues to be relief? Yeah, I think that they'll they'll give him a chance to be a starter, but I, I think that they also, Coach Tadlock, Coach Hayward, Coach Gardner have always liked to have the long reliever, mm-hmm. you know, that, that at one point was a guy like Caleb Killian, um, last year like Orion Shetter. And I think Erickson Landing could fill that role too. Could he be a guy that could be used twice in a weekend where he pitches three innings on Friday, three innings on Sunday? Uh, the stuff is there for Landing. It's it's more about consistency with him. And yeah, he, he made two starts early last year and then and then had the arm issue and missed the rest of the year. But a, a guy that, again, that you kind of feel like, all right, this is when it starts to click or it starts to kick in for certain guys – and hopefully that's going to be the case for Erickson Landing because he could be a huge boost to this pitching staff if he's able to grab one of those starting spots or is that long reliever guy. Right. Well, it's certainly nice to have those in your in your back pocket too when your starter, you know, is struggling a little bit. A guy that's been through the grind. I mean, let's remember he pitched a deciding game to go to Omaha against East Carolina in 2018 and through seven shutout innings. He was phenomenal there. I mean, if you can pitch in that kind of setting, you, you would think that, um, you know, he's got, you know, nerves of steel and he can handle the rigors of the Big 12. Yeah, in 2016 for that one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So John McMillan, we've talked about him quite a bit, but but one question I've had about John McMillan, I mean, so much power, so much velocity, control has been an issue. But the thing I love about him, such a fiery competitor, 
Mm-hmm. Does he want to be a starter? Because I mean, he's got closer written all over him. Yeah, you know, from that standpoint, I mean, he's just filthy sometimes. Yeah, I think he wants to be a starter. Okay. I think that's what he enjoys more. I think that's where he sees himself. I think he does have the personality and the look of a closer. Yeah, but uh, I think he wants to be that guy that says, "Give me the ball, and, and I'm going to go out there and give you six or seven innings." It's just a matter of him putting it all together. Because at times we've seen him be really good, and then all of a sudden. The drop of a hat, he loses command. Yeah, uh, he's putting guys on base, and then he's he's stressing too much and throwing. Too exactly, much. Yeah. you say stressing too much. I think some of that's mental. You know, yeah. when he, he gets out of a groove and he just he, he struggles to get back. One of my favorite tech baseball moments was John McMillan, and it was in a loss, uh, the Friday night TCU game in 2017. Watching John McMillan, and you know he was breaking triple digits just because <laughs> the gun didn't have any more to show you. Um, he. I mean, he's breaking triple digits and he's striking out Luke and Baker swinging. I mean, that was grown man baseball. Yeah. Right. There. It didn't matter that they had Tech lost 4 0 that night. Yeah. You know, just seeing him, that, seeing that matchup was really something to see. That was really fun. It was two guys that you could look at and say, yeah, these two look like big league players. They're hanging out here on a Friday night in Lubbock and it's pretty cool to watch. <laughs> yeah. It was like an exhibition all yeah. of a sudden. Okay. <laughs> and, and Luke and Baker was taking some hacks. I yes. mean, he was, he wanted it. So, yes. and then Jake McDonald, a guy that, I mean, worked really hard last season. I saw him on Twitter just working to come back, working to come back. Obviously, didn't get to come back and, and make an appearance, but are we going to see him around again this season yeah I think I think you will and I think he's got the potential to play a major role for the Red Raiders a, a guy that you'll see 94 96 the stuff is electric with his cutter all the movement that he has on his fastball makes makes uh, him be a guy that's really difficult to square up seven no hitters in high school I mean he dominated in high yeah. school uh, you know, his freshman year for the Red Raiders, a lot of swing and miss, but a lot of pitches outside the side of the strike zone as well. It's almost as if he didn't know where it was going, yeah. just as just the hitter didn't know where it was going. Um, and it was a disappointing year for him last year because he's, he's got a personality similar to McMillan, pretty fiery personality. And uh, it, it was tough for him not to be able to pitch last year, but he's another guy that I think could be a starter or could be a long reliever, or maybe he's got that that mental side of him that says, I want to close games out as well. But that's another really quality arm that you have coming back off an of injury. You know, another one that doesn't get a lot of pub, but uh, Clayton Beater last year missed the whole season because of uh, surgery, but uh, when he stepped onto campus in the fall two years ago, I mean, he was like an effortless 95 and 96 with the fastball. So um, he took all of last year to rehab off the surgery. That's another name that nobody's talking about right now because we haven't seen him ever in a Red Raider uniform. Right. It's a really quality arm that you hope can bounce back and, and give you, you know, big, big innings this year. And there's a lot of guys we saw fairly often, and sometimes they were eating innings, but Dane Haveman, Richard Gilbert, uh, there's several guys out there, you know, in that bullpen that, that maybe you, you never know what you're going to see, you know, like yeah. some of the ones you say, you don't know who's going to step up and that's exciting about it too. But now one guy we saw a lot of and, and maybe never quite panned out to what we were hoping, John Henry Gonzalez didn't work out so great for the Red Raiders and now he's transferred. He's gone to UT Rio Grande Valley. So now mm-hmm. my, what I'm curious about is if he becomes a midweek starter and the Red Raiders end up facing him, <laughs> you know, when, when they come to Lubbock, I know there's a two game stand against those guys. Well, I think that, I mean, the stuff was there for John Henry. When he put it together, he was really good. It just just couldn't command the fastball enough and got himself into trouble there. So wish him the best of luck. I just hope it doesn't come at the Red Raiders' expense. Because (laughs) I know Coach Tadlock has told the story before. The first time he saw him pitch in high school, he said, yep, this kid's good enough to be a weekend starter in the Big 12. And so, you know, hope for him he puts it together. 
just hope it's not against the Red Raiders. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of these new guys, and then we'll we'll wrap this thing up. One that got a ton of airtime and publicity, you know, when when things happened, was a transfer coming from Arkansas College World Series team. Now they had a lot of transfers go out of that program this summer, but one in particular coming to the Red Raiders, Bryce Bonin. Big arm, lots of velocity. They felt like he was a bullpen guy. As happens, he feels like he should have a chance to start. I have trouble arguing with him. If if Coach Tadlock and Gardner wanted him on campus and gave him the opportunity to come and be a Red Raider, they must see something there as well. Yeah, one way or another, it's another power arm, another talented arm that you're going to have, whether it's out of the pen or in the starting rotation. I think they'll absolutely give him a chance to be a starter, but we'll see how it pans out. But yeah. Um, it's a guy that's you know pitched at a high level. Uh, didn't pitch a ton, but pitched at a high level for Arkansas and um, has a little bit of experience coming in here. And the Red Raiders benefited by him being granted eligibility immediately. Yes, and, and uh, that's that's huge that he's going to be able to come and pitch right away. It's just normally when fall ball starts, they've had anywhere from 37 to 42 guys on the roster. Right, and you got to get down to 34. Well, this year they had 47 guys on the roster, and it was all about finding pitchers, finding pitchability guys, guys that can command the strike zone, all of that. And and he's another one of these guys added to the mix that you're confident in, and maybe you didn't have that much confidence last year. So I just think he adds to the depth that you feel like you didn't have last year, specifically at the end of the year. And I think Coach Tadlock, Coach Gardner, and company have done everything they can to make sure that doesn't happen again this season. Well, your other top 100 player that came out here in in this class was Mason Montgomery coming out of Leander. Now, he's a left-handed pitcher. He was the number two lefty in the state and number 81 overall prospect in the country. So uh, quite the guy to get. He was another draftee by the White Sox in the 39th round. So I've wondered about him as a midweek starter. You you heard about him a lot. He kind of got the publicity in the class, but then after fall ball, really Coach Tadlock talked more about Micah Dallas, a right-handed pitcher coming out of Aubrey, so a little bit different there. Well, you always have to read between the lines a little bit with Coach Tadlock, okay? He's never going to, especially a new player, before they've pitched or played in in conference games or even in regular season games and non-conference play, he's never going to heap too much praise on any newcomer. He wants to, you know, them to be grounded, those kind of things. But I think Mason Montgomery has a chance to be in the weekend rotation. He's that kind of talent. Big, tall left-hander. I think Micah Dallas does as well, if I'm being honest with you. Those are both guys that look like, as Coach Tadlock likes to say, they're lake-ready. They look like the moment they stepped on campus, they're ready to go and compete at a high level. So those are two guys that add to that depth that we've talked about throughout this podcast. And have you feeling like if those veterans don't fit in the weekend starter roles, that you've got plenty of other quality options? Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, kind of looking the part, both guys 6'2", both of them in that 185 to, to 205 range. And Micah Dallas bringing a, a, you know, a 94 to 96 fastball out of high school on a campus, out of Aubrey, Texas. I, I can't imagine being in that district <laughs> and knowing you're going to see that guy at least once or twice. Well, Jamie, any parting thoughts for us? You said you'd give me like a half an hour and I've taken like an hour and 45 minutes or something. So <laughs> do you want to tell us the story about the Syracuse blanket? I mean, uh, uh, let me. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Okay. Um, calling a high school football game. Uh, my sideline guy got drenched as it was pouring down rain. We got in the car to drive home. Got in uh, my Jeep to drive home. And uh, about halfway home, I turned around and the sideline guy 
um, had shed himself of all of his clothes and had wrapped himself in my Syracuse blanket uh, because uh, he didn't want to be drive, uh, riding in wet clothes, which uh, he was a KU grad. I was offended that a KU grad wrapped himself in my Syracuse blanket. Syracuse is my hometown uh, in New York, so I was offended by that and uh, really wanted to drop him off at that point. Uh, but I <laughs> Just tell him you're stopping to get a Slurpee and <laughs> leave, him <there. laughs> leave him there. <laughs> Give me my blanket before you leave, though. Man, it, you have to admit, I know you have a you have a cool gig, Jamie, getting to do co-host of the Morning Drive, co-host of the Press Box, or one way or the other. I know you have to deal with some characters. That's that's a lot of fun traveling with these Red Raiders. But calling high school sports is its own special animal. It's a lot of fun oh, to hop in a car with these guys, a bunch of everybody's a character and, and just roll off to some other town and just have a good time and eat just garbage from gas stations is what it yes. ends up being. Yes. It's a, uh, it's a dream come true, right? Yeah, no, That's right. It's an absolute blast. Yeah. And yeah, if you're no, lucky, no. you might even get paid to do it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Haxton and I, although, uh, you know, it's a little bit different. There's, there's uh, buses and planes involved. Uh, it's the same way. We, uh, we have a blast to call in the games together and kind of goofing off and having a good time. Absolutely. Well, you guys do an awesome job and man, I can't, I can't say thank you enough for you coming on making my episode one, something special here. I mean, you may never want to come on again. I don't know as long as we talk. Oh, hey man, anytime I can talk tech baseball, I'm down. Hey, I appreciate it. Especially in, especially in January when that's just really what you want to be thinking about, yes. you know, <laughs> need somebody to nerd out with. Well, man, I really appreciate it. I've had a lot of fun talking about it. I've learned a lot from you. I wish I'd taken notes while we were talking, but um, <laughs> man, it was, it was fun. And uh, with that, I'm just going to say thank you so much. Have a great day. And and thanks to all you out there that are listening. Thanks for tuning in. The first episode of the Dinger Derby podcast. Make sure you find us on Twitter, Dinger underscore Derby. With that, we're signing off. Wreck em. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck em, Tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone. There's just one kind of man that you can trust. That's a 